He will bring us goodness and light. There's a light that will never go out. There's a light that will never fade. There's a light that does not need to be maintained. The light that never goes out. About 300 years before the time of Christ, Alexander the Great came rolling through Israel and that entire part of the world came under Greek control. About 150 years later, a Syrian ruler decided that he would no longer allow the Jewish people to worship their God and their temple. So he did everything he could to disrupt their worship. He prohibited it, but he even desecrated the temple. He made a statue of himself, tried to make himself like God. He had pigs sacrificed in the temple. For the people of Israel, their lights had gone out. They were a people in darkness. Well, one family that history would come to know as the Maccabees, that's not actually their family name. The name means hammer, led a revolt against the Syrian king. And over time, over a period of three years, they actually got control back of their country against impossible odds, and they reestablished worship in the temple. When they went to dedicate the temple, they lit a lamp. And that lamp was only supposed to have enough oil to remain lit for one, possibly two nights. But that lamp remained lit for eight entire nights, according to the oral traditions and history as they've been handed down. Eight nights, the length of time it would take for more oil to be created for that lamp. To celebrate that, a new eight-day holiday was created, a feast called the Feast of Dedication. The word that's used for dedication is simply the word Hanukkah. That is part of the backdrop as Jesus comes into the story. You see, while the Syrians were in charge and there was no rule in the temple, there was no worship in the temple, there were a lot of things that got put on hold, including the great feast that people would go up to Jerusalem and be a part of. One of those feasts is the Feast of the Tabernacles, the feast that celebrates how God walked with the people through the wilderness, through 40 years in the desert after he delivered them from Egypt. And though 40 years was not exactly what they wanted, God was with them every step of the way. And so now that the Feast of Tabernacles can be done again, can be had again, there is a ceremony that accompanies it on night number two of this eight-day celebration. It's called the Illumination of the Temple. And on the illumination of the temple, a young Jewish man would carry 15 liters of oil to light one of four menorahs that would stand 75 feet high in the outer courts of the temple that the people used to worship God in the time of Christ. 75 feet high. The roof of the room that we're sitting in today is 36 feet high. It is said that when those four menorahs were lit, there, there was not a court anywhere in Jerusalem that did not have light. 
every bit of the city would be lit even at night. And those menorahs were to remind the people that God is ever present, that he was always with them, and that in the past he has done miracles. And one of those miracles was that he led the children of Israel in the desert in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. And so they light those lamps to remember the miracles of God. Those stories are the backdrop of John chapter 8. They're the backdrop of a verse we've read together the last couple of weeks. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. There are stories of great, great light in the first century. What amazing illustrations he gives us and that he takes advantage of in those moments. And in these moments in the first century, things still aren't that great. I mean, the Syrians are gone, but now the Romans are in place. And though they are allowing worship to happen in the temple, it's still, it's not what they had hoped for. It's not what they were longing for. The people were longing for a Messiah that had not come. It was a period still when Jesus walked the earth of great confusion, of great discouragement, of great uncertainty. Honestly, it was a time where no one believed that God was fixing anything. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like God is not fixing it? I've been praying. I've been seeking. I've been asking. I've been seeking. I've been knocking. I've been doing all the things. And yet he's still doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. This, this is the thought, this is the mindset of the people in the first century. They thought God has left us. It reminds me of a psalm, Psalm chapter 77, verse 3. Maybe you have prayed a prayer like this and you wondered if it was okay. It's amazing that there's one like this in the scriptures. It says, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit did not get stronger. My spirit grew faint. He goes on to say, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? I want to read this to you in the message translation, a paraphrase of the scripture, and maybe your prayers have sounded a little more like this. I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. When friends said everything will turn out all right, I didn't believe a word they said. I remember God and shake my head. I bow my head, then wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute all through the night like you do, wondering how to get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love worn threadbare? Has his salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stalked off and left us? 
Just my luck, I said. The high God goes out of business just the moment I need him. I mean, it's worse than a country song, right? And it's in the Bible. Asaph, the psalm writer, he must be from Nashville. I mean, seriously, this is the worst one ever. Not only did your dog leave you and get run over by a reindeer, but also your kids are looking at you like you've lost it. Your wife has gone. I mean, it's the worst of all because on top of all of those things, your God is out of business. Those are the thoughts of the psalm writer in Psalm 77. That is what it sounds like to be living in a period of uncertainty, confusion, and darkness. Maybe you've said things you wish you hadn't said. Maybe there's things you wish you had done. Maybe you made foolish decisions. Maybe someone has hurt you. Maybe someone walked out on you, either physically or mentally. You can, maybe someone hurt you. Maybe you have hurt others. You can see it in their eyes. Your, your spouse is angry. Your kids have given up. You've got bills that you can't pay. And at this time of year, you've got presents that you cannot buy and you feel completely inadequate. You're awake at night. You have no idea what to do. You can't even get your thoughts together and get organized. And when someone says to you, hey, just remember, God's got you, you just want to shake your head and say, come on, seriously. There is darkness in every corner of our world. And maybe for some of you personally today, there is darkness in every corner of your world like you have never seen before. What are you hoping for? What are you believing in? Can I tell you, it's that somewhere in the middle of your circumstances, in the middle of the confusion, in the middle of your darkness that's not like anyone else's, that someone will shine a light. And can I tell you, the light of the world has come and he is the light that will never burn out. You may not understand him right now, but he is there ready to illuminate your circumstances because he is that one true light. With the backdrop of these giant lights, four 75-foot tall lights that were part of this ceremony, Jesus says to everyone, I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Don't you think people looked at him like he's a little crazy at this point? I mean, seriously, and it would be okay. I mean, Jesus, couldn't you just say you're like the light of Jerusalem because those are the lights, that's what they shine. They're shining in Jerusalem, you get the deal. You could have just said you're the light to the Jews or the light of Israel. You could have said a lot of different things, but Jesus says with great intentionality and great purpose, no, 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 I am the light of the world greater than these lights, greater than these stories. These stories point to me. I am the light of the world. What is he saying? Is he making some prophetic statement? What is he, is there something more to to read in here? I think very simply, Jesus is saying, there is no part of this world that I can't shine light on. And can I tell you, there's no part of your circumstances in your life that he can't shine light on. I've talked to people Many, many times over the years who just felt like that they were too far gone. 
that their sin was too great, that their issues were too great, maybe that your grief was too great, that the hurt inside of you was too great, and you just wring your hands and say, there's no way that God can do anything about this. But can I tell you, the light of the world has come. He is the light that pierces the darkness, and even the darkness is as light to him. And it may be really, really dark for you right now, but can I tell you, his faithfulness is great, and joy will come in the morning when that morning comes. So the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they were called Pharisees, and they really did not like this statement. They really did not like this statement, I am the light of the world. In fact, it set off an incredible dialogue in John chapter 8, and just so you know, I love this part of scripture. John 7, 8, 9, 10, there's so much interwoven here, so much symbolism and imagery, but Jesus, when he said, I am the light of the world, it made people mad. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, after a lot of dialogue, they began to pick up rocks to stone Jesus. And I don't know what he did, but the Bible just says he just slipped out. I mean, he's Jesus. Before the force, there was Jesus. And so he just, you know, forget all the Star Wars stuff. Jesus just said, I'm out of here. And I don't know what they saw or what they think they saw, what they didn't see, but he's out. And then he does something that it happens occasionally in the New Testament. In fact, it happens quite a lot. Jesus takes the opportunity to reinforce his point and to illustrate what he's been talking about in a way that only he could. So the story and the thought, I am the light of the world, continues in John chapter 9. As he passed by, verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Have you ever been tempted to think this way? That nothing good will ever come out of the circumstances that you're in. That it will never get better. I mean, in, in some ways, I still encounter a particular way of thinking every once in a while where, you know, you see somebody struggling, you see financial collapse, you see sickness, you see pain, some type of disaster. And someone else kind of catcalling on the side will be, oh, I bet there was sin in their life. Wonder what they did to somebody or... You know, God is getting them, right? Too oftentimes, a, you know, hurricane or natural disaster will hit a city and somebody with too big a microphone will say something stupid that, you know, God doesn't love these people anymore. That's not true. And Jesus says, listen, this has happened to this guy that the work of God might be displayed in him. And here we are today, a couple of thousand years Later, reading a story about what's about to happen to this man, truly the work of God was displayed in him in ways greater than he could ever even begin to understand and imagine. I was doing a little research on blindness this week, and I don't know, this question came to my mind, and I guess it comes up a lot, and it was just, what do blind people see? Now, I know it sounds kind of foolish, but truly, what do blind people see? And so I found a blind man who has a YouTube channel. <laughs> and he answers the question. It's one of the first questions that he answers. And the answer is nothing. We don't see anything. 
And he said, typically, after he says nothing, there's about five more hours worth of questions that people ask him. What do you see? Nothing. Well, don't you see black? I don't know what black is. Truly, this is what he's answering. Now, how he answers that. Several years ago, some individuals in the UK volunteered to be placed in a box, in a room, in complete darkness for 48 hours. Volunteered for this stuff. One of the guys, when he got out of this black room, began to share his story, and he said, listen, even though we had planned, prepared, physically trained for this, to which my question would have been, what? How do you physically train? But he would just, they let us know what was going to be happening. He said, I physically trained for this. That's awesome. And he said, but within a couple of hours of being in there, I began to get very afraid. I mean, I knew that this was an experiment, but I began to wonder why they put me in here. Forgot that he volunteered for it. And he got overwhelmed with extreme paranoia. Everything is harder in darkness, isn't it? I mean, they fed this guy. That was difficult. Changing clothes was difficult. Everything is completely difficult when all around you is darkness. You begin to forget what light is like. He began to hallucinate and even beginning to see things that were not there. Have you ever done that? Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you are sure that someone else is there? You punch your spouse in an ungodly way and say, get up, there's someone at the foot of the bed and there's nobody there. It's just dark and you're confused. That's life in darkness. And people in darkness can get to a point where they see no way out and they give up in believing that light will ever come. And some of you today know exactly how that feels. John chapter nine, verse four, Jesus, let me just say about verses four, five, six, and seven. If your group's not meeting right now because of Christmas coming up, you need to look at this passage right after the new year. It's, you could, we could spend three or four weeks just on these verses. It's amazing the ramifications of what Jesus says here. But he says, we must work the works of him who sent me, that would be the Father, while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, who knows how the thing ends, he had an incredible urgency about what he was supposed to do with his life. And what was he supposed to do? As long as I am in the world, he says, I am the light of the world. Do you have urgency about sharing the light of God? Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So there's the statement again from chapter eight, carrying over into chapter nine. I am the light of the world. And then he spits on the ground. Why did he spit? I really have no idea. Why did he spit? I mean, I, I will say I was just, I was Googling like you do. And I found some things kind of interesting. And I'd heard a little bit about this before. And in the first century, uh, there was something about the spit of a firstborn child. It was supposed to be better. 
okay? So if you're an older sibling in here, you can use that anytime you want. Your saliva is better. And so it was kind of a superstitious thing. I want to be very clear. I don't think Jesus was superstitious, but I think the people around him were, and he had no problem meeting them where they are. And so here is now the spit of not just the firstborn, but the firstborn of God the only begotten son of God, the firstborn of creation. He is here. He is again spitting on the ground. What do you mean again? Well, I don't know if he's done it in the past, but I can tell you that in the Garden of Eden, it says that he formed man out of dust. So here, the exciting thing is that once again, here is the creator forming, making something out of dirt. I don't know if he made anything at all or if it was just an old-fashioned mud pie and then he slapped it on the guy's eyes. What in the world? If you're this poor guy and you don't know who you are encountering and you have been living a life in complete darkness, nothingness of some kind and now there's a bunch of commotion and someone has just thrown mud in your eye and Jesus told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. It means scent. It's a pool that is fed by the only natural spring that comes into Jerusalem, the only natural water source. In fact, it's the water source that Hezekiah in the Old Testament had the people dig a tunnel to, to get to this water source. And water would, would flow and still flows through that tunnel to this day. It's an, a, kind of an amazing feature. But the important thing to know about this pool, one of the amazing things is that being the only living water source, any water that's that's running or flowing like a creek or a brook, it's referred to as living water and it is symbolic of the spirit of God whenever it shows up in the scripture. Jesus said, go wash in that. I don't know how he got down there. I don't know if somebody let him. I don't know if he stumbled down there. I don't know if he knew where it was. I'm not sure what he did, but the Bible says in John chapter nine, verse seven, so he went and washed and came back seeing. That's pretty simple. He once was blind, now he sees. And then another discussion ensues. I think it's amazing. His neighbors look at him and go, is that you? Yes, it is. It's me. But you were blind. Yes, I know. But now I can see. I mean, people really did not recognize him. Is this the same guy? It looks like the same guy, but he's different. Then they showed him to the Pharisees, the religious rulers, and they refused to believe his story. They refused to believe him. Were you faking it? Have you always been blind? Yes. We don't believe you. How did this happen? Well, there's a guy, and I mean, he slapped mud on my face and told me to go wash it off. I figured I better go wash it off because there's mud on my face. And so I went, and I washed the mud off of my face, and I can see. Where's the guy? I don't, I don't know. I was blind until about a half hour ago. I don't know what he looks like. And so they went and got the man's parents. Is this your boy? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. How did this happen? You have to ask him. He spit. He threw mud on my face. I washed it off. Now I can see. The Pharisees talked to him again and again. They said, this just doesn't happen, by the way. How could another man, a sinner like you, they said, make this happen? He answered in verse 25. 
whether the guy who healed me or not, he's talking about Jesus, but he doesn't know who he is, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That should be a song. Somebody write that down real quick. Come on. That's all I know. Listen, you cannot argue with experience. And we serve a God who has the ability to radically change lives. And I love when he does something in someone's life that cannot be explained. It just stops everyone in their tracks. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to meet a pastor named Cujo from Togo. And I got to meet with him with Pastor Brian and with Kevin Dunlap. And, and, but I got to go pick him up at the airport. I kind of volunteered for that, wanted to talk to him. He's from West Africa. And I, in the car, asked him, how did you come to faith in Christ? And he just kind of began to shake his head. He said, when I was 12, my father, who was a believer in Jesus, gave me a Bible. And I took the Bible and I threw it down I said, I want nothing to do with this. And I walked away from my father and from God and all of it. And many years later, I became very, very sick. I went to the doctors. They could not help me. And so in West Africa, when the doctors cannot help you, you go to the next thing, which is a witch doctor. The first witch doctor he went to said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to pray to the God of snakes and we will pray with you. At that point, I'm turning around. I need a second opinion right now. I'm out. He said, we're going to pray to the God of snakes that the God of snakes will send a snake to kill the person who made you sick and then you will be fine. Okay. So he prayed for a while, prayed that some snake would bite somebody somewhere and that they would die, and nothing happened. So he did get a second opinion. He went to another witch doctor who said, here's what you do. You pray to the God of thunder, stronger than the God of snakes, clearly. And you pray that the God of thunder will strike down the person who made you sick. Tried that for a while. Didn't work. He's really, really sick now. Rumors are spreading about him, spreading that he has AIDS, and he doesn't know what he has. Doctors don't know. I mean, he's tried things. Nothing has worked. Got home, and he picked up that Bible, and he told me, he said, I wasn't praying for God to heal me. I just felt like there was a pretty good chance I was about to meet him, and I wanted to be right with him. So we prayed, and he said, God sorry and I believe in you I have run for far too long he had been in darkness for far too long I put my faith in you and then he told me what he did next and he's kind of chuckling when he's telling me this he said I started rubbing the Bible all over myself (laughs) he said he's laughing he's like God must have a great sense of humor and great patience with us. He said, I rubbed the Bible all over myself and I fell asleep. I hadn't slept in days. And I slept from the morning to the next morning, almost 24 hours. And I woke up and I did something else that I hadn't done in days and days and days. I ate. 
and I loved hearing him say it because he just said, I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate. And I'm sitting in the car thinking, how many more times is he going to say that he ate? But he's excited about it. And so he ate and he went back home and he fell asleep. That's a good day. I mean, the buffet and a nap and he's good. And he slept again for almost 24 hours. He woke up after that second time. And he said, I felt strong. I had been healed. And I didn't ask God to heal me. I just told him that I believed in him. That I believed he could do it. I love you. Listen. No one can rob you from your experience. This man, Pastor Cujo, has now trained nearly 2,000 pastors in West Africa, planting churches. And when someone comes to faith, you know what he tells them to do on their first week? Go tell four other people what happened to you. But I don't know any Bible verses. I don't own a Bible. Go tell four other people what happened to you. What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Go tell four other people what has happened to you. No one can argue with the story of God in your life, even if it's just, I once was in darkness, I once was blind, but now I see. That's a testimony. I once tried life without him, and now I have given my life to him. I love the stories. The, the men we've met over the years who've trusted Christ and become different husbands and fathers, the, the women who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and found victory over addiction, attitudes transformed, behavior altered beyond what anybody could even recognize. How did this happen? I don't know. All I know is that once I was there, now I'm here. Once I was not even aware that I was in darkness, but something in my soul has been awakened. I once was blind, but now I see. The blind man from John chapter 9 is banished from worship by the religious leaders. Jesus, in John chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus asked him. The man answered, And who is he, sir? Because I was blind to about an hour ago. That I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you now. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You see, a miracle had happened earlier in this chapter, but it wasn't the one that was needed. A lot of different physical circumstances, a lot of different circumstances in our lives can be used to bring us to Jesus, but the real need is for spiritual transformation. True life change doesn't come merely through getting an external need met, but rather true life change is a matter of the heart of the heart given fully to God, this man's physical circumstances led him into contact with Jesus and then the, the real miracle occurred. 
spiritual light flooded his heart and he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so our question today is, what are you going to do when you come in contact with Jesus? Some of you remember when you first came in contact with Jesus. Some of you had to encounter him many times before you finally said, I surrender, this is I give everything I have to you, God, and you've put your faith and trust in him. And many of you remember that moment, but some of you have been brought into contact with Jesus before. And when you get to God, you just shake your head and you just wring your hands. I'm not sure that I can do this. I'm not sure that this is for me, but I'm telling you the light of the world has come and he did more than that. He shed his blood for you that light might flood into your heart. And if you're here today and you've never said, Lord, I believe. Our hope is that when you come in contact with Jesus today, that you will make today the day. But then some of you are here today and you're Christ followers. You, you, you prayed at some point in your life to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And in times when you've walked with him really strong and times when you've backed away and then there's, there's times like maybe even now where you would say, it feels like I have gone back into darkness Life is so confusing. Life is so disrupted. And I don't know where God is. And I can tell you that there are times when it seems like he is not speaking. When it seems like he's paying no attention. When it seems like he doesn't care. But can I tell you the light of the world is ever present and he never goes out. And there will be a time where you are face to face with him again and that light will shine so bright it will take your breath away. There is coming a day, the scriptures say, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And if you've never confessed it for salvation, do that today. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you need to confess and worship him fresh and new today, then do that today. Let your worship of him overwhelm all your doubt, all your confusion, all the darkness of your circumstances and put your worship in Christ alone today, the light of the world. I want to take you back to my country song in Psalm 77. Wringing my hands, God's not there. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. You may feel like your life is covered in darkness. But can I tell you what is so powerful about this season of light is that we are reminded that there is a God who still does miracles. He has done them before. He will do them again. In fact, he does it in such a way he creates a plan so beautiful like sending his son down as a baby into a manger that no one could ever have made it up on their best day. He answers uniquely the way that he sees best and the way that is right for you. He has done miracles before. He's still doing miracles and he'll do them again. And when you come into contact with Jesus, 
What do you do? You worship. Lord, I believe, he said. And he worshiped him. When Mary first came into contact with Jesus, she worshiped him. We're reminded of the miracles from long ago during this season. When the shepherds first came into contact with Jesus, a bunch of ragamuffins smell like sheep, walk in the door, what do they do? They worship him. When wise men came from afar, how far, 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 we don't know, but they came from a long way off and they walked into the door and what could they do but drop to their knees and worship him? Anytime we encounter Jesus, that should be our response. That light is still shining today. You can still come into contact with Jesus. You can choose to worship him or you can refuse him. You can let your circumstances, your pain, your hurt, your grief, even your sin keep you far away from him or you can trust that the light of the world is still shining and still present to this day and that he desires a personal relationship with you. He's still shining. He will always shine. Revelation 21 says, I saw no temple in the city, John says, for its temple is the Lord, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb, that's Jesus. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Can I tell you, the Lamb of God, Jesus himself, he is the light that will never go out. Let's bow our heads in prayer today. When we reflect on this season of light, on the light of the world, the light has come and he's coming again. He's ever present. I want to ask you today, if you're here and you feel like maybe your circumstances were too dark for God, I hope that the spirit of God has put that to rest in you today. You're not too far gone. You're not too far removed. You're on the same ground that we've all been on. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, today's, today's the day that I put my faith and trust in Jesus. No one's prayer in the New Testament ever sounded the same, but it needs to be from your heart to God's heart that you pray to him. You can pray something like this. God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus, the light of the world. I put my faith and trust in him today. I, I changed my mind of trying to do this on my own, of trying to fix my circumstances on my own. I give my life to the one who came, who died to cover my sins, my mistakes, the ways that I have fallen short. I trust in him today. God, I give my life to him.